She looked at him and said, look, it's shrinking. And she said, do you think I need, and at the time uh, we were pastoring, and she said, do you think I need to get Pastor Chad to pray for me? Now, kids are smarter than adults a lot of times. She looked at mom, she said, why would you need him to pray for you? God's already healing you. Literally, by the end of the service, it was completely gone. And she said the next morning when she woke up, she said there was a brand, she said there was a perfect circle of brand new skin where it was at. And so she goes to the doctor. She had an appointment that week to get it lasered off. She goes to the doctor. The doctor's looking at it, and he's mad because he's wanting to know what doctor she went to because she, you know, she had an affair on the doctor. What doctor she went to, she cheated on him. What doctor she went to to get it lasered off instead of going to him? It was that perfect. And all of her friends and uh, her co-workers that knew about it, she was a hairdresser. She told them what happened and nobody believed her. Because it was such a perfect circle right there. They all thought she was lying and she went and got it lasered off. Trying to, you know, make up a miracle. In that same service, there was a man sitting on this other side. And it wasn't a large church, maybe about 200 people. There was a man on this side and he had gotten into a really bad car accident. And in that car accident, it had caused his, uh, one of his ribs to pop out of place. Now, if you've ever done anything with your ribs, that's, that's some painful stuff. It caused his rib to pop out of place. And so what he would have to do is when it popped out, he'd go to a chiropractor, and they would pop that thing in. And he said it was extremely painful for that to take place. Well, we're doing this, this, this uh, conference, and we're having a service on a Saturday night. He said Saturday afternoon, it had popped out. Of course, the chiropractor's not in. Doctors are closed. But he went ahead and came to the service. And he said, while he was sitting over here, at the same time this is happening with this lady, he said, I'm sitting over there, and I'm just listening. I, and me, I had no idea he had even experienced this, didn't, didn't know anything about it. He said, while you were up there teaching, he said, I literally felt a hand grab my rib. Now, this isn't a weird, flaky guy. I, I know the school this guy went to, and I, I've known him for a long time after. Not a weird, flaky guy at all. But he said, I literally felt a hand grab my rib and push it back in. And he said, there was no pain, but I felt it moving. I felt the hand, and it popped back in. And that was a long time ago, and I know him, talked to him. He's never had an issue with it since. I didn't know about it. Nobody touched him. I didn't know about this one. Nobody touched her. I didn't know anything about the, you know, Trevor, the, the boy with the broken wrist. Nobody touched him. Uh, I was telling this couple uh, this morning that, uh, this was just uh, last year. This was in a little town called Warner, Oklahoma, about the same size as this, uh, this city, roughly about the same size building, p- number of people in this room. And there was a, uh, a mother. She had saw us on Sid Roth, and her, she had a seven-year-old daughter, and the seven-year-old daughter was dealing with just like extreme chronic pain. They'd gone to the doctor. Doctors had no idea what the problem was. So they basically kind of treated her like a guinea pig, they started giving her cancer medication to try to combat the pain. And the cancer medication was so severe on her stomach, she would have to take another medication first to coat her stomach to handle the cancer medication. And she's seven. And so she's having to take this medication like every two to three hours just to deal with the pain. She can't play. She can't run. She can't jump. She can't do anything a normal little kid should be able to do. So the mom, she saw us uh, on Sid, and so she told her husband, she said, I really feel like we need to fly out there and go to these meetings. So they fly all the way from California to this little bitty town out, uh, about an hour outside of Tulsa, Oklahoma. Now, I'm hearing, this, I'm hearing this story the next day. 
And so she said that they, they get there, they, they get up out of the airport, and it was time for the little girl to take her medication. And they're coming to the 6 o'clock service that night. The mom told me this. She said, I went to give my daughter, 7 years old now, give her the medication. She said, my 7-year-old put her hand in my face and said, no, mom, I don't want the medication. Jesus is going to heal me tonight, and I want to feel it when it happens. Seven years old. And we've got this on video. We've got the mom give it. This isn't me making something up. I've got this on video. So this is on a Sunday night. So they show up to the service. Now, I don't know all this, right? I don't know all this. We're, we're ministering different ones, and I'm told, hey, there's this lady that came from California with her little girl. That's all I know. We go up to her. She says she's in a lot of pain. Uh, Lacey, my wife, she's with me. We laid hands on her, prayed with her, walked off. That was on Sunday night. On Monday, they show up. The girl's bouncing all over the place. And the mom's telling me what I just told you. And she says she woke up this morning, first time without pain. She said, I don't know how long. She hasn't had the medication, you know, in almost 24 hours. She wanted to go swim. She swam at the hotel. She'd been running and jumping and playing. It was awesome. In that same service, again, it wasn't a big place. In that same service, there was a young girl, and she was 12 years old, and she was going blind. And the, uh, the doctor said she had roughly about two years before she lost all of her sight. And she could barely see, you know, much of them. Well, all we knew, we were told this little girl was going blind. Lacey, again, we, we go over there, laid hands on her, prayed with her. And that, in this particular situation, we didn't see anything immediate, but that doesn't bother me. I mean, we usually see a lot of stuff instant, but it didn't bother me in that situation. And, um, and so two weeks later, the pastor calls me. And says, Chad, I've, I've got to give you some, some really good reports of the services. He said, remember that little girl that you and Lacey ministered to? I said, yeah. He said, get this. So she was going for her pre-op appointment. And, in, and for the surgery they were going to do, the doctors were going to melt her corneas. And, they were, and this was an experimental thing. They were going to melt her corneas and insert an artificial lens in each eye to try to save a little bit of sight. And so she had a pre-op appointment. Uh, a few days later after the services that, that we were in. So she goes to the pre-op appointment with her dad, and the doctor's looking in her eyes, and the doctor looked at the dad and said, Sir, he said, I don't really know how to explain this, but he said, it looks like her, her corneas and her retinas are healing themselves. And, and the, now the doctor was an atheist. And, and the dad, I mean, they knew this guy, but the doctor's an atheist, and the dad said, look, it's not just healing itself. Jesus healed her. We were in this service a few days ago. And I get this. The dad didn't even go to the church. The girl didn't even go to the church. She had friends that went there. She's 12, and she begged her parents to bring her to the service. 12 years old. And they're sitting there, and the doctor said, well, look, I don't know anything about Jesus, miracles, healing. I'm just telling you, I'm looking at her eyes right now. Her retinas, her corneas are healing themselves. She's going to be just fine. So they cancel the surgery. And he says, she, in other words, she says she ain't going blind. Her eyes are they're going to get better. In service, there was another lady that was there, and we didn't even know about this lady. So when the pastor's telling me about the girl that was going blind, that's, not, not, that's now not going blind, he said, I've got another one for you. He said, there was a lady that was in the service. Uh, I think she was about 23, 24, something like that. She was pregnant with her first child. But she had a ton of fibroid tumors all around her uterus. And she wanted to be able to have a, a natural pregnancy, I mean, a natural, a natural childbirth. 
And I don't know what an unnatural pregnancy would be, but... <laughs> do, 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 do. But she wanted to have a natural childbirth, and, but she was considered to be a high-risk pregnancy. And the doctor said, look, no way, it's going to have to be a C-section. And so I believe, if I remember right, she's about six or seven months pregnant at this point. And now she was in the service. Now, she told the pastor, she said, I did not want to bring any attention to myself, so I didn't say anything. So I didn't even know she was in the room, knew nothing about the situation. But she said, I just came believing that while Chad was teaching, I was going to get healed. That was her stance on that. So, so notice some of these things. You have a seven-year-old that says, no, 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 I, Jesus is going to heal me. I want to feel it when it happens. You got a 12-year-old dragging her, you know, parents to church so she can get healed because the parents don't believe squat. And then you've got this other girl who says, you know what? I don't even need anybody to lay hands on me. I'm just going to sit there and listen to the teaching and I'm going to get healed. I mean, this is the level of, of expectancy there. And she said that she went for her, uh, her monthly checkup which was about a week after the services. And she's in there, and the technician is looking at the scans, looking at the reports, and then looking at her prior reports. And she said, ma'am, something's kind of strange here because I'm not seeing any of those tumors that were there. She said, I'm going to go get my supervisor. So she goes to get the supervisor. Supervisor comes in. She's looking at it. She looks at the prior reports. She said, hmm, this is strange. I don't understand this. Let me go get the doctor. So she goes and gets the doctor. And the doctor comes in, looks at it, and I, I, I want to say they went and rescanned her and then got some reports back, still couldn't find anything. And the doctor said, well, look, I don't know what to tell you. I don't know what happened, but there's no tumors there. So if you want to have a natural childbirth, go ahead. So, I mean, just those three, three things happened right there in a town about this size, in a church about this size. So, I mean, what's possible? What's possible? What's possible? You know, we sing these songs all the time. I often wonder how often how do we actually believe them, but, you know. Well, don't get quiet on that. <laughs> <laughs> all right, John chapter 14. For those of you who aren't here this morning, uh, we'll, we'll just start off at verse 12 just so you can see it. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. So see, this is Jesus. It's not a denominational thing. This is Jesus. It's not your favorite, you know, TV preacher, YouTube preacher, you know, TikTok, whatever. This is Jesus. Jesus said, whoever. So, so the only title that you need to do the works of Jesus is to be a whoever. Well, I think that qualifies us, you know. Whoever believes. That's all you got to do is be a believer. He said, what I do, you will do also, and even greater he'll do because I go to my Father. So let's get down to verse 19, and we'll get into what we're going to talk about tonight. <clears throat> verse 19, he said, a little while longer, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you will live also. On that day, you will know that I'm in the Father. Remember, this is, this is, my, this is my genius illustration right here, okay? I mean, it took me a long time to come up with this. I mean, this, this takes like a doctorate degree to, to get this. On that day, you'll know that I am in my Father, right? I'm in Father, you are in me, and I am in you. It's almost like if you got a, a Halloween costume or something like that, and you had three people get into it, and then zip it up. And Jesus is saying, this is what's going to happen when you get born again. 
Huh? I'll be in the Father, you and me, I and you. This is what salvation is all about. See, we saw this morning that, that salvation is not just about going somewhere. Jesus didn't say, you know, I came to take you to heaven. You're not going to find. No, what he did say, I came to give you life. And one of the wonderful byproducts of this Zoe life, the life of God, one of the byproducts is, yeah, thank God. When I take my last breath or Jesus comes back, thank God I get to go to heaven. That's a wonderful byproduct. But we've treated, we've treated going to heaven like the, the golden Willy Wonka ticket. That's salvation. It's all about me getting to go to heaven. That's why when most of us, when we witness to people, the first question we ask them is, if you were to die today, would you go to heaven or hell? I mean, that's a legit question, but let me ask you this question. Maybe a better question would be this. Would you like to have God live on the inside of you today? Because, you know, if I get to have God on the inside of me, I also get to go to heaven. But it's not so much about fire insurance. It's about fellowship. See, anybody can scare anybody into anything. I mean, I don't know about you. When I was growing up in church, I was getting saved every Sunday. <laughs> you ever grow up in church? Like, I was getting saved every Sunday. I was filling out the card every week. No? And... <laughs> And I grew up in a church where, you know, I mean, you're a sinner, you're a sinner, you're a sinner, you're going to hell, you're going to burn, you're going to burn. And I don't want to burn. I'll say my name. <laughs> but, but we also grew up in a place where, you know, I, I was so scared of that stuff. And, and we, we would have these guest ministers come in and, and, and I would see them read people's mail. And, and I didn't want them to read my mail in front of my parents. So I was one of those ones sitting in the church. I was like, God, please don't show them what I did last week. Don't, 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 don't let the gifts operate in that way because I, I don't need mom and dad to know what I did. But I mean, that's the way the church has treated salvation. It's all about going to heaven. Well, I don't want anybody to go to hell, but you know what? I don't want you to go through hell on the earth either. And all these people, because you talk to people that way and people say, well, I just don't know if I'm ready yet. Well, the reason is because we haven't, we haven't really explained what this is really truly all about. It's not about you having to change yourself and get rid of all these things. It's about you getting to know him. We saw it this morning in John 17. Jesus said, this is eternal life, to know him. And not a factual knowledge, not about data, not about intellect. That word know in the Greek, it's talking about an experiential knowing, experiential knowledge. The same word that's used when describing the intimacy between a man and woman, experiential knowledge with him, to know him, to know him. So it's not about turn or burn. I mean, but, you know, we don't want anybody to burn. But it's not about if you die today, would you go to heaven or hell? It's like, hey, wouldn't you want to have him living with you? Wouldn't you want to be able to hear from God and see from God? Wouldn't that be awesome? I mean, I've said that to, to high people. I'm like, yeah. I mean, who would turn that down? <laughs> Doesn't matter how jacked up. I mean, it still sounds pretty good. Wouldn't you want to see him, hear from him? Yeah. So Jesus said, on that day, you'll know that I'm in my Father, you are in me, and I am in you. He whoever has my commandments and keeps them, it's he who loves me. And whoever loves me will be loved by my Father. I will love him, and I will manifest myself to him. 
He's talking about the day of salvation. He said, you'll get to experience me. You'll know through experience that I'm one with him and he's one with me and we're one with you. And he goes on in verse 22, and Judas, not the traitor, said to him, Lord, how is it that you would manifest yourself to us and not the world? And check this out, verse 23. See, he's not talking about when you get to heaven. He's talking about right here. Jesus answered and said, if anyone loves me, he'll keep my word and my father will love him. And check it out. Here it is again. We will come to him and we will make our what? We'll make our home with him. This is all about union. That's what we hammered on this morning. We're going to hammer on it again tonight. It's all about union. We'll make our home with him. We'll become one with him. If you go all throughout the book of John, Jesus is constantly, repetitively, almost just too much to the fact of, I'm one with the Father. The Father's one with me. The Father who sent me, he's with me. He's never left me alone. It's the Father only inside of me that's doing the works. It's the Father, the Father, the Father, the Father. And not just a relationship with the Father, union with him. Complete union with him. And it's Jesus' continued push will make our home with him. And we saw it in John 17. Jesus is the supernatural prophetic prayer that Jesus prays. He said, I pray for all of those who will believe in me through their word. Pray for us. And what's his prayer? He said, Father, I pray that just as we are one, that they would be one in us, with us. That the world would know that you sent me. And the same glory that you gave me, I've given it unto them. That they would be one. Just as we are one. That the world would know that you said. I mean, he goes on and on and on. And then for the dumb people who didn't get it the first time, and the next verse he says it again. Father, they would be one, just as we are one. That the world would know that you sent me. And the next verse he says, and by the way, I want them to go and be with me where I, where I am. So he throws in the heaven piece. I want them to go to heaven. But the focus of that is, is I want them to be one with us. Yeah, I want them to go to heaven. But the focus, I want them to be one with us. And then the very last statement that he makes in that prayer he said, Father, that I would be in them. That I would be in them. Why? Because when we become one with him, that's when life changes. That's when it changes. Not when I, I die and take my last breath. See, even, even in the, in the spirit-filled, charismatic, whatever you want to call it, world, or we could, just, we could just say the whole church world in reality, we have looked at it that Salvation gets me to heaven, but in reality, death is my savior. Death is my healer. Say, what are you talking about? Well, I mean, you know, we look at it from the standpoint that when I die, when I take my last breath, I leave this body, that's when I truly get free. That's when I truly get free. No, I truly get free when I got born again. That's when I truly got free. And the reason I would say that with the utmost of confidence, because in John chapter 14, verse 19, Jesus makes this statement talking to physically alive people. He said, because I live, you will live also. Now, he's not talking to physically dead people. They're alive. They're looking at him, just like you're looking at me and going, uh. he said, because I live, you will live also. He's talking to physically alive, but spiritually dead people. He said, because I live, you will live also. You will live also. And you will find that this is a thread that runs throughout the New Testament of you becoming alive. You becoming alive. Let me show you a couple of these. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 
I need to hurry. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and look at verse 22. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 22. says, For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made what? Alive. They'd be made alive. Uh, in verse 45 it says, The first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a what? A life giving spirit a life-giving spirit if you flip on a few pages ephesians chapter 2 and in verse 1 and these are pretty familiar scriptures ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1 it says and you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and in sins and verse 5 it says even when we were dead in trespasses and sins he made us what he made us alive how Together, in him, together with Christ. So here's this union piece. Here's these in Christ realities. He made me alive. How? Together with him. So in the very same way that Jesus died, then I did what? I died. In the very way that Jesus became alive, I became. So I don't know of a, of a Christian who would deny that fact because we all believe in water baptism. We all do water baptism. Now, some of us, you know, we may sprinkle. Some of us may dunk. Some of us may go half immersion, full immersion, 70 degrees Celsius, 20 degrees. I mean, we have all, we have all of our parameters as to how it needs to be done. But, but, but all in all, we believe in water baptism because it signifies I died with him and I arose with him. Now, that's where most of us stop. And we just keep it at a, a very, very surface level. But in reality, what does that really mean? What are the implications to, becoming, to dying with him and becoming alive with him? If I died with him, I also died to the things he died to. And if I became alive with him, I also became alive unto the things he became alive to. See, this is where you get down to 2 Corinthians 5.17. You know, you've all heard this. If any man be in Christ, he's a brand new creation. Old things pass away. All things have become new. Some translation says a new life has begun, a new type of life. You know, in Christianity, we've made that to be a really cool poster, a nice T-shirt. But we haven't delved into the, the depths of what that truly means. What does it mean to be a brand new creation? What does it mean to, to be alive unto God? Well, let's look at a couple more of these. Just, just so you see, we're not taking one scripture out of context or something like that. He made us alive together with who? Well, some of you are confident in that. Okay. Alive together with Christ. Good job. All right. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 13. Actually, look at uh, uh, verse 12. It says, we are buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Notice he's, he's not talking about when you get to heaven, right? This is past tense stuff. He said, you were raised with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. Look at this phrase, underline it, highlight it. He is made alive together with him, having forgiven you of all of your trespasses. So right here, we, we get a clue here that when I died with him, I became alive unto him. And you see that this becoming alive has something to do with being forgiven too. Forgiven of your sins, 
dead to these things, made alive together with him. Let me show you a couple more, and then we'll get into the, we'll get into the, the good stuff here. Colossians uh, chapter, uh, well, you know what? Let's skip that one just for the sake of time. So flip on over to Romans chapter 6. And I want you to see this. Romans chapter 6 is a powerful chapter in Paul's letter uh, to the Romans. And in Romans chapter 6 and in verse 4, he says, Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death. All right? So we've seen that already a couple of times. How are we buried? How are we with him as, as, he, as he was? We were raised up with him. We see in Ephesians chapter 2, we were raised up together with him, made to sit down God's right hand in heavenly places where? In Christ. So it's this whole thing of identification, substitution, what you see Jesus did, he not only did it for you, he did it as you, right? So Romans chapter 6, verse 4, we are buried with him through baptism and death. Now, now notice this phrase, just as. All right, what does just as mean? In the very same way, right? I mean, you know, you, you get a third grade education, know that. Just as. In the very same way, to the very same degree, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father. Now notice this. This will get you kicked out of some churches right here. <laughs> even so. So notice, just as, even so. Just as Christ was raised from the dead. Even so, we also should walk in a new type of life. Now think about that one. Listen to what he's saying. Just as Christ... Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father. Now, look, I'm going to say something right here. Don't get offended, but you have to think about this. A lot of Christians get mad about it, but it's scriptural. Jesus not only died physically, he also died. Yeah, because he had to. He, he had to go through what we were supposed to. So Jesus died spiritually. That's why the Bible says he's the firstborn from among the dead. Well, he wasn't the first to be raised from the dead physically. I mean, come on now. He raised up a couple of people from the dead. Elijah raised some people from the dead. Elisha, I mean, so he wasn't the firstborn from the physically dead, so that only leaves one other option. He was the firstborn from among, he was the first to be born again. People get riled up about it, but I mean, it's the only way redemption could take, it's the only way you could have salvation. Jesus was the first to be born again. That's why Jesus told the disciples, because I live, you will live also. And you see it right here. Just as Christ was raised from the dead, even so we should also walk in newness of life. So in other words, the same type of new life Jesus lives right now is the same type of new life you are to live right now. Well, okay, Chad, but I, I hear that, but that doesn't make sense. How is that possible? He's there, I'm here. It's because you're looking at this to tell you who you are. Now, you may wake up in the morning. You may walk in that bathroom, look in that mirror, and say, man, I am sexy. <laughs> you walk in there, and you start flexing. You suck in your stomach, and man, I got it going on. But that's not you. The body is not you. It's your house. It's a tool that we use to operate in this natural realm, but that's not you. If it was you, 
then there would be no, I mean, that's not you. And the reason we have a problem trying to, 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 to get this to make sense in our little peanut brain is because we're thinking about it, we're thinking about ourselves as separated from him, we're seeing Jesus, and then we're looking at this and saying, how is that possible? But you have to understand, I am a spirit. I'm not a body, I'm a spirit, and he's a spirit, and God is a spirit. He's the father of spirits. And if he's a spirit and he's my father, that means I have to be a spirit too. I've never seen a cow give birth to a kangaroo. You know what I mean? Never seen a dog give birth to, you know, a fish. I mean, God made things to reproduce after their own kind. Well, if God is a spirit, he's the father of spirits, then I have to be a spirit too. And yet, you know, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 6, 17, we are one spirit with the Lord. I'm a spirit. And so it was me as a spirit being that was born again. This is the same. I mean, if, if you were skinny when you got born again, you were still skinny. If you were a little fluffy when you got born again, you're still fluffy afterwards. If you're tall, nothing, I mean, nothing changed on the outside. Because that isn't what got born again. You did. Notice how I said that. You did. Your body didn't change. You did. You became a brand new creature in Christ. Old things passed away. Everything became brand new. A brand new life has begun. A brand new type of life. But what have we done? We've relegated it to, well, not cussing as much and not sinning as much and, you know, not looking at porn at all and not doing these things and trying to be a better moral person. No, it wasn't about that. I know people today that are sinners and live better than Christians. I mean, I'm sure we all probably know somebody. I, I, know, some, I know some people of other religions that live way holier lives than Christians I know. So it's not so much about your standards increasing. Now, I mean, it's certainly not a, a license of sin. But like we talked about this morning, the more that you know him, the more that you hang out with him and you know him and understand, you don't want to do those things. And those things just start to fall off anyway. I mean, if you go to a church and they're always preaching on sin, it's just going to produce really good sinners. But you go to a church where they preach on righteousness, it's going to produce a, a lot of really good, righteous, living people. What you're conscious of is what you're going to do. Anyway, so he, he said, even so, we also should walk in newness of life. So again, if you want to know what's possible, look at Jesus. If you want to know how you should see life, look at Jesus. Look at his, what's his perspective? What are his thoughts? That's what I need to be doing because he's showing me what's possible. Yeah, but he's in heaven. It doesn't matter. The same authority he has, I have. The same fellowship he has with the Father, I can have with the Father right here. I don't have to be there to have the same fellowship. Of course, you know. People in our circles, was, they would say this, well, there's no distance in the realm of the Spirit. Anybody ever heard that phrase? But how come all of a sudden things change when it comes to me hanging out with him? Chew on that one. Say la. So, even so, we also should walk in newness of life. Now, verse 5, he said, if we've been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Now, look at verse 6. This is where it gets good. Knowing this, our old man was crucified with him. So you see the identification, right? Old man was crucified with him so that the body of sin would be done away with, that we would no longer, now notice this phrase, 
we would no longer be a slave to sin. So how did this no longer be a slave to sin come about? By, by me dying and becoming alive unto him. So if I died with him, that means I died to the things he died to. And I became alive with him. I became alive unto the things he became alive to. Notice what it says. For he who has died has been freed from sin. And if we die with Christ, we believe we shall also live with him. So he's talking present tense, present tense. Here's future tense. And then he comes back to present tense. Talking about what's going on now. Knowing that Christ, verse 9, having been raised from the dead, he dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life that he lives, he lives unto God. Now let me ask you a question. When does sin, uh, let, me, let me back up. When does sickness and disease, death, uh, oppression, addictions, mental issues, when did all that show up? When sin showed up, right? When Adam and Eve sinned, that's when the curse came and then all of the crud came after that. So essentially you could say it like this, that sin, it's the root. And sickness and disease and addictions and oppression and mental issues and demonic attacks and, and all that stuff, it's the roots that come from, it's the fruits that come from the root of sin. It's the fruits that come from the root. But notice what Paul is telling us. He's given us this wonderful little mini-sermon in verses 1 through 10. He said, you died to these things. You died to sin. If I died to sin, I have to die to all the byproducts too. If sin was the source, which it is, the curse, then I have to have died to all the byproducts too. If Jesus died to sin, then he also died to all the byproducts. And if I died with him, I died to it too. It's, we don't have a whole lot of time, but it would be a good study for you. And if you're interested, you go to our Heathen Academy stuff and you can find it in there. And we talk about this, we've been talking about this a lot, especially in our weekly healing talks and stuff. But it's this. There is a divine connection between forgiveness and healing. There's a divine connection between sin and sickness. I'm not saying that someone gets sick because they sin. I'm talking about the sin of Adam, the curse. It produced sin, sickness, disease. It, sin produced those things. You even see this in the story of the, the paralyzed man in Luke chapter 5. When the paralyzed man is brought to Jesus, he's got these four crazy friends bringing him to Jesus. Tear up the roof. How would you like to be that guy? We, a lot of people believe it was Peter's house. Tear up Peter's house. Drop him through the roof. Jesus, he sees their faith. And he looks at the paralyzed man. He said, man, your sins are forgiven you. Can you imagine going to a healing meeting? And the, the preacher looks at you and says, sir, you're forgiven. If it was in modern church today, they'd probably got mad and turned around and walked off. I don't need you getting in my business. I need you to heal me. I actually had a lady tell me that one time. So I was, I'll never forget, I was, I, was <laughs> I was 29 years old. We started our first church in College Station, Texas, you know, Gigamaggies. First church. And we were seeing, we, the, second, uh, the, the first weekend of the second month we've been going, we had a little boy. He had three tumors on his head, and they dissolved during the service. He had, he had lymphoma. I mean, he had Hodgkin's disease. The next month, we had a lady completely blind. I mean, completely blind. She was instantly healed. I'll never forget she walked up to me. I, I'm green as green can be. And she, she walked up to me and I said, what can I do for you? And she said, I can't see. And I said, what do you mean you can't see? She said, I can't see. Now I'm hoping. And she's like nearsighted. I got floaters or something like that. 
I said, what do you mean she can't see? She said, son, I'm blind. And, uh, you know, but short version is she walked out of there seeing perfect. And so we're having all these miracles start happening. So I'll never forget this one lady. She, she shows up, and this is a few months later, and uh, we don't really do healing lines much, but we did that morning. She's standing here, and I walked up to her. And I said, ma'am, what can I do for you? And she said, well, I've got extreme shoulder pain, and my back's all jacked up, all this type of stuff. And I, I went to lay hands on her, and I stopped. And I said, ma'am, I said, I could be wrong. I said, but this just kind of came up on the inside of me. I said, have you been dealing with some issues, like some relationship issues with like a family member? I said, I'll go so far as to say this, that like, maybe you just, there's some bitterness there. And, and, and this, that's only one of the only few times I've actually ever brought that up in, with healing and stuff. But it was just real strong on me on that. And I said, is, is there something like that? And she goes, well, yeah. She said, me and my mom, we got into an argument 20 years ago, and I haven't talked to her since. And so I'll never forget I, we're standing right over here at the edge, and I said, well, ma'am, I said, you know, that, that might be something you need to deal with. Now, I'm 29. She's probably in her 50s. And I was a whole lot nicer back then than I am now. And, and I, I, said, well, ma'am, I said, well, ma'am, that might be something you need to deal with. And she, I'll never forget, she said, son, I don't need you to preach to me. Just put your hands on me and heal me. So I gave her a little pity prayer, gave her a Holy Ghost shake, and I walked off. Because I knew nothing was going to happen with that one right there. But, but in the story, Luke chapter 5, <laughs> the paralyzed man, Jesus said, Jesus said, man, your sins are forgiven you. And the guy didn't get it. And the Pharisees, they get all upset, says they're reasoning in their heart and say, who does this man think that he is? You know, who can forgive sins but God alone? And Jesus, knowing what they're thinking, looks at them and says, which one's easier to say? Your sins are forgiven you? Or to say, rise up, take up your bed and walk. Which one's easier to say, you're forgiven or you're healed? This is Jesus now. He said, which one's easier? Now, in the Jewish culture, I mean, they believe if somebody's sick, if there's something going on physically, it's because somebody sinned. That was their belief. You look at the, the, the story of the, the little boy the, or the man that was born blind. As soon as the disciples saw him, they said, all right, Jesus, who sinned? Somebody did something dirty here. It was him or his parents. Somebody did something. Right? They understood that. And Jesus is dealing with this. And he tells the paralyzed man, you're forgiven. But he didn't get it. And so Jesus said, which one is easier? What was Jesus saying? Number one, one is not harder than the other. Now in the church today, forgive us, but in the church today, we think healing is hard and forgiveness is easy. You know how I can prove that? When's the last time you got on Facebook and you saw someone say, I need everybody praying. Get your church group praying, your prayer groups praying. I need everybody praying. We need to pray and get God to do something. My Aunt Sally, she sinned really, really bad. And we need everyone praying. Get your prayer groups praying. We need a prayer chain going on Facebook. Everybody be praying for God to forgive Aunt Sally. You ain't ever done that. Why? Because we don't think forgiveness is a big deal. But when's the last time you saw someone get on Facebook and say, I need everybody praying, get a prayer chain going, everybody around the world, let's bombard the gates of heaven and let's pester the mess out of God to get God to heal my Aunt Sally because she was just diagnosed with cancer. Why do we do that? Because we're so body conscious, we're so flesh conscious, 
and we really don't understand who we are. In reality, the thing that's really the most important, the thing that, that, that has to do with my fellowship and relationship with God, the thing that could affect my destiny, my eternity, we view that as very, very small. The, the thing that actually is the bigger deal, we have more faith for the bigger deal and less faith for the smaller deal. Jesus said, which one's easier? Which one's harder? If you put it out on an old-timey scale, they'd even out. Jesus said, which one? So number one, in this story, he's showing you they're the same. One is not of more weight than the other. But number two, he shows you this. When you get forgiven, you also get Oh, maybe that's what Peter's talking about in 1 Peter 2.24. When he says, having died, actually, why don't you look at it? Look at it with some fresh eyes, and then we're going to come back to Romans. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 24. I know most of you could quote the last portion of it, but you have to understand there's more to 1 Peter 2.24 than by his stripes you were healed. 1 Peter 2.24, he says this. He says, who himself bore our what? sins in his own body on the tree that we having what died to sin so you see this is a recurring thing we died with him and in dying with him we died to sin that we would live for righteousness so how do i get righteous i have to get saved i get forgiven that makes me right second corinthians 5 21 says he who knew no sin became sin so you and i would become not just Righteousness is not just a gift. Yes, it is a gift, but it's not just something I, I possess. It's not a trophy I put in the trophy case. He said that you would become the righteousness of God in Christ. That means he's talking about my identity. He's talking about who I am. Righteousness is not just something I get. It's who I am. In other words, he said, just as God is right, you become right. That makes people a little shaky in church. But it's a good thing he said it and we didn't. That you would become the righteousness of God in Christ means you become right. How right? Just as right as God. But it's not because of anything you did. See, this is the grace of God. Because I'm not good enough. Most of the church still thinks they're a little little lowly worm under a bucket of scum, a sinner saved by grace. You know? But Jesus is telling us here, Peter's telling us, Paul's telling us, you're the righteousness of God. And the same way God is right, you're right. And people have a hard time with it because they say, well, you don't know what I've done. And you know, I'm just a human being and and, and we're prone to error. Yeah, I get that. That's why God didn't make a covenant with you. That's why he didn't make a covenant with me. He made a covenant with himself so that I wouldn't screw it up. See, you and I, we have a better covenant established upon better promises. Under the old covenant, it was based on their actions. Under the new covenant, it's based on Jesus' actions. So that's why it says in Hebrews that, that Jesus, he forever perfected those who are being sanctified. That while I'm working out my salvation, I'm still I mean, that ought to make you get a George Jefferson walk going. I mean, like, <laughs> I mean, like, that ought to give you a self-esteem boost in the fact that, hey, even in my mess, I'm just like the Messiah. 
That's how great salvation is. It's not a license to sin. It's not a license to go and do whatever you want. But I'm telling you, once you begin to see yourself the way that he sees you, that's not even a thought. You don't even want to do that stuff. It doesn't even appeal to you anymore. I mean, that sin stuff, that's just babyhood stuff. If I'm still dealing with that 20 and 30 years into salvation, it's because I don't know who I am. Salvation made you perfect. It made you right. That's why this whole issue of, of trying to get good enough to get healed is a bunch of hellish nonsense. If I'm trying to get good enough, it's because I'm not saved. So what do I need to do? I need to get born again. And once I get born again, I become more than good enough. And in reality, every single person Jesus healed was a sinner. So if they were good enough to get healed as a sinner, you probably, you, you probably fit the bill as a born-again believer. Because it's not about you and your actions. Yes, we should always be growing in holiness. And yes, we should always be working to, to raise our standard of living and this and that. But you know what? None of those things can get me what Jesus already made me. See, those things are dealing really with, with my, my consciousness and awareness of God. They don't change me. Let me put it to you like this. When I was born in 1977, I was born as Chad Gonzalez. There's nothing in this world I can do that changes who I am. I could change my hair color. I could get just for men, get rid of the gray. I could put a little toupee. I could do all these things. I could put on, you know, bigger shoes to make me taller. And, you know, I could get some implants and get me some bigger muscles. And I could do all these things. But none of that's going to change me. See, the whole issue of sin, all, all sin is, is Satan trying to make you more aware of this world so you can't access where you're from. The more conscious I am of the curse... The less conscious I am of the blessing and the less of a position that I'm in to, to, to pull and release from that. That's really what it comes down to. All the temptations, all the lusts, all the desires is to make you more aware of this world. That's all he's trying to do. Because if he can make you more aware of this world, you can't access who you're one with and where you're from. How can I manifest a place I'm not aware of? Think of that one. So in the story, in, in the paralyzed man, he says, which one's easier? He shows us that, that one is not harder than the other, right? And number two, he's showing us that once you get forgiven, you also get healed. And you see it in 1 Peter 2, 24, that we having died to sin, when sin is done away with, it's because I may, was made right. And because I was made right, and righteousness is about my position in him, because I'm the righteousness of God, because I am in him, then by his stripes you were healed. That healing is not, not the thing I'm chasing after. Healing is a byproduct of who I am. Or you could say healing is a byproduct of being made right. Righteousness produces healing. Or you could say forgiveness. Because how do you become righteous? You're forgiven. Sin's taken away. You're dead to it. Because you become righteous... Healing is a byproduct. So when I become born again, really what he's telling you is the truth, that healing is already yours. 
Now, the church today, I mean, just like we'll, we'll sit there and we're praying, God, give us more glory, even though Jesus said in John 17, Father, the glory you gave me, I gave it unto them. Right? And, and, the, and the church is praying, God, give us this dead raising power. And yet, Paul is praying for the church in Ephesians 1, Father, open their eyes and show them that that dead raising power, you already gave it to them. Right? Maybe there's a reason the church isn't walking in the power of God and the things of God that we should be because we're praying wrong and we're singing wrong. Maybe if we would actually pray what Paul prayed and see how Paul saw, we might actually walk in what Paul walked in. But what have we done? It sounds real religious to stand here and, and have tears coming out of my eyes and blow snot bottles and, and say, say, God, I'm so unworthy. I need more. I need more love. I need more joy. I need more peace. I need more anointing. I need more of this. I need more of that. It seems really, really spiritual. See somebody blowing all that stuff out of their nose and just crying and crying out to God. But really, it's, it's just thinking pride. See, true humility is recognizing who you are. That despite how I feel and what it seems like, to humble myself and realize what he did for me and go against my natural reasoning and go against all the religious people around me and recognize who he made me to be and be humble enough to step into it. See, Paul said in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 6, as you have received him, now walk in him. You know, Acts 17, 28, in him we live and we move and we have our being. How is that possible? Because he said in Romans chapter 6, the same new life Jesus lives is the same new life you're going to live. How can we be living separate lives? How can we be experiencing separate things? He's telling you it's possible to share the same thing. It's all about union with them. Jesus has shown us that when you get forgiven, you also get healed. Why? Because when the sin problem is taken care of, then what? The sickness problem is taken care of. Why? Because if I died to sin, that means I also did what? I died to all of the effects of sin. Or you can say it like this. If I died to the source of sin, then I also died to... If, if, I, was, if, if I was connected to that root of sin where the fruits were alive in my life, and Jesus came and, and, and through redemption, he cut the root off. And then he grafted me into another root, a root of righteousness. And now righteousness is the root. And the fruits of righteousness are healing, prosperity, peace, joy, patience. I mean, like, let me give you another illustration. It'd be like if you had an extension cord. Okay, and you, pl you plugged it into the electricity. Now, whatever is in that wall, that, that power can flow. And, and that's what was going on with Adam and Eve. Okay, when, when, G when God made them, they were alive unto him. There's no sin, there's no death, there's no lack, there's no addictions. None of, none of the curse is there, right? They were alive unto God. Well, in Genesis chapter 3, it says that Satan came. And he's tempting Eve. And we find out in the New Testament, it says that, that Eve was deceived. Why? Because she didn't know who she was. 
Now, in Genesis chapter 1, 26 and 27, God's the one. Not, not, some, not some famous preacher, not some denominational thing. God said, let's make man in our image and in our likeness. Let's give them dominion for the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, you know, cattle. Over all the earth, even over the creeps. Y'all know some creeps? You got dominion over the creeps too. But God's is the one who said that. And he made Adam and Eve to be like that. And Satan's there, and they're standing at this tree, the tree of life. And, and they've seen this tree, the tree of, of good and evil and wood knowledge and whatever you want to call it. They're standing at this tree. And they've passed by this tree many times. She's seen it many times. She's looking at it physically. And he keeps telling her, you'll do this, you'll be like God. If you do this, you'll be like God. And at first she refutes him. But then it says in verse 6, as she's looking at the tree, then she saw that the tree was good for food and, and, and make her wise to be like God. Well, she wasn't seeing it physically for the first time. But it says that she saw. What happened? As she's looking at that and she's hearing these thoughts and these ideas and these suggestions. And as she listened to it long enough with her imagination, her perception changed. And now she's seeing that tree differently. And because her perception changed... Her decision changed. Her actions changed. Because she looked at it she said, yeah, if I do that, I'll become like God. But it was the great deception because she was already like God. And what happened? She went, reached out. You could say she stepped out of grace and stepped into works. And you know what happened? She lost what she had. See, Satan had no authority in her life, did he? No, that's the reason he had to come and tempt he had to try to come and deceive. He brought these thoughts and these ideas and these suggestions. That if you'll do this, you'll get this. And it's because he had no authority in her life. He couldn't make her do anything. Why? She was right with God. Why? She was alive unto God. He had no access into her life. The only way he had access is if she said here. And so how did it happen? She steps out of grace. She steps out of her position. She reaches out and begins to work to get what she already is. And as a result, loses what she has and, and loses her identity. And what happens? The cur well, we forget Adam, you know. He's standing there without a spine watching it go down. I just truly believe Eve must have been hot. I mean, she must have been so good looking. Eve's just standing there and say, look, I know I'm about to make the earth go to hell in a handbasket, but I'm not going home arguing with her. <laughs> you know, so. <laughs> happy wife, happy life. I mean, the Bible says he's standing right there, and he didn't do anything. But sin comes, and because sin comes, the curse comes, which produced all of these things. Now, remember, Satan had no authority in their life. Now, Jesus tells us in Luke chapter 10, and you see this in other places, that he said, I give you all authority. I give you all authority over every demonic force. I give you all authority over Satan. So if Jesus has all authority, that means Satan has what? Oh, okay. So Satan has none. He has no authority. So as a born-again believer, united with him, the Father in me, Jesus in me, the Holy Ghost in me, we're one together. That means I have all authority. Therefore, Satan has no authority. 
That means Satan has no authority to do anything in my life. That means he cannot do anything to me that I do not allow. Right? I mean, that's just, you don't even need Bible for that. If I have all authority, he has none. So what does he do? He can't make me do anything. So what's he do? He brings thoughts and ideas and suggestions to try to get me to see things differently. What's he after? He's after my soul. Now, sometimes we confuse soul and spirit. No, no. He can't, he can't change me. What's he after? He's after my soul, my mind, my imagination, my perceptions, my, my thoughts. He's trying to get me to see things differently, just like Eve, because he doesn't have any authority in my life. He's trying to get me to see things differently, so I will respond. I will react. Why? Because I am, in a sense, the prophet of my life. God made me to be like him to create and produce in my life. He gave me power in my words. What did Jesus say? You believe it in your heart? You confess it with your mouth? What's Satan trying to do? He can't do anything to me. Now, we understand this in the realm of sin. Satan can't make me sin, can he? Now, back in the you know, 60s and 70s, we said, well, the devil made me do it. But the devil can't make you do anything. If you're born again. Why? Because I'm no longer a slave to sin. See, if I'm a slave, I don't have a choice. If I'm a master, right? So, so with, with Eve and Adam, before sin, they were plugged into life. They're plugged into the blessing, plugged into righteousness, plugged into their union. And, and when they died spiritually, they got unplugged. And now that flow of life is no longer there. The flow of the blessing, is no, there's no, none of that flow going in their life. Well, what happens when you take away light? Automatically, there is darkness. If you take away health, then the automatic byproduct is sickness. That's with the, when they got unplugged from God, they became now dead to God, and they became alive to the curse, alive to all of the results of the curse. Well, when I got born again, I became one with him. When I died with him, and I was raised up with him, and I was made alive unto God, I was put in the very same position that Adam and Eve were before the fall. I became alive unto him, and now, once again, I'm in a position where Satan has absolutely no authority in my life. So what's he trying to do? He's bringing thoughts and ideas and suggestions, trying to get me to change my perception so he can do and produce something in my life. And the reason this is important is because this is what he's talking about in Romans chapter 6. He said, you're no longer a slave to sin. If I'm no longer a slave to sin, I'm no longer a slave to sickness either. You can very easily substitute any of those fruits for that root. And you're not taking away or adding to Scripture. You're no longer a slave to sickness. You're no longer a slave to cancer. You're no longer a slave to blindness, deafness, kidney disease, pancreatic. You're no longer a slave to scoliosis. You're no longer a slave to arthritis. You're no longer a slave to heart disease. You're no longer a slave to hydrocephalus. You're no longer a slave to diet. You're no longer a slave to those things. Why? Because you're dead to it. Now, how, how, but how are these things happening in my life? Because I still think I'm alive. I still think I'm alive to it. Maybe the problem isn't that, that God is withholding. Maybe the problem is I still think it can actually affect me. Now, now this is a paradigm shift here. And this is where we start to kind of lose some people because they're like, mm, I'm 
about that? You were... Because, you know, I, I, I know I can control the sin thing. But, you know, sickness and disease, that's just kind of a part of life. I mean, you know, you get older and, and things begin to happen. Things begin to break down. Yeah, if you're alive to it. Yeah, but then how, how, how would I die if I'm not sick? Well, you finish out your, your course. You run your race. You, li- you live a long life until you're satisfied. And you say, okay, I'm satisfied. I'm ready to go. See, we still think death is our savior. Death is our healer. If Moses at 120 years old could live out his 120 years to the very last second and he was a sinner. You realize that? Former murderer. I mean, don't raise your hands, but you ever killed anybody? <laughs> and I mean, now, now, I mean, I'm not saying you wanted to. We've all pretty much, yeah. but I mean. Yeah, if you ain't killed anybody, you're in a whole lot better shape than Moses was. He's a former murderer, current sinner, and yet, on his, read the Bible, on his 120th birthday, God wakes him up and says, today's the day you die. Can you imagine that birthday present? <laughs> man, if I could just hear from God, I mean, I just, you know, if I could just, oh man, it'd be awesome to hear from God. And on your birthday, God says, today's the day you die. But what? He finished out his days. 120 years. That's what he's promised. 120 years. And what? And the Bible says that his strength was not diminished. He still had all the strength. His eyesight was still there. He still, he still could see he had his strength. Right? I mean, he was probably still a sexy dude at 120. And the Bible says he climbed a mountain at 120 years old. He didn't go up with a, uh, a walker. He didn't have to get one of those chair lifts and ride it up there, you know. Kind of, like that, kind of like that game on, on the Price is Right, you know. <laughs> he climbed a mountain at 120. A lot of us at 30 or 40 can't even get into the car. Have a hard time getting up the steps into our house. Why? Because we've bought into the lie that the world has tried to push that you're still alive to this. See, we, we turn 30, and, and, and when we turn 30, we, we talk about we got the creeks, and we turn 40, and we got the cracks, and turn 50, and we got the oh me's, and 60, and the oh my's, and 70, you don't even know your name. <laughs> people, people have a, a 40th birthday party, and they got the black balloons, and wheelchairs, and stretchers, and walkers, and over the hill, it's downhill from there, baby. But that's what the world thinks. And you know what? And the church world does it. And we think it's funny and it's killing you. But if Moses at 120 as a former murderer, current sinner, if he could live out his years without no sickness and no disease and still have his strength and all of his eyesight and climb a mountain and say, all right, I'm ready to go. And death didn't have to be his savior. And I've got a better covenant with better promises based on the blood of Jesus and not the blood of a bull and a goat. Why would I sell myself short? Because Moses was still a slave to sin. He was still a slave to sickness and disease, isn't that? But as long as he was doing what he was supposed to be doing, walking according to the, the will of God and, and do it, following all the rules, he was good. Right? But me, and again, this isn't, this isn't a license to do anything. This isn't that greasy grace or anything like that. 
<laughs> but it's this thing of what Jesus did for me and what he made me and the position that he put in me that, that me experience these things and walking in these things has nothing to do with what I've done and has everything to do with who I am. Has everything to do with who I am. And what Jesus was trying to let us know, what Peter's trying to let us know is that when I'm forgiven, when I become the righteousness of God, I am no longer alive to the things of this world. I'm no longer alive to the curse. I'm dead to it. Some of you, it'd be really good if you start getting mafia style with it. You know, you're dead to me. <laughs> Cancer, you're dead to me. COVID-97, you're dead to me. You know it's coming. You know it's coming. Monkey pox, elephant pox, you're dead to me. Chicken pox, you know, fish pox, whatever pox, all these stuff they're going to come up with, you're dead, 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 you're dead to me. You're dead. And see, it sounds funny, and, and people are going to make fun of you, but when people make fun of me, I look at them and say, how's your normal working? How's your normal working? You have to see yourself the way he's telling you you're dead to it. I'm no longer a slave. Why? He said, if you're no longer a slave, you've been freed from it. You've literally been freed from it. In other words, remember, after Christ, I mean, after, uh, after Adam and Eve sinned, they're dead to the things of God, alive to the curse, alive to sickness, alive to disease, right? And we're born into these things. You, you read about it in Romans chapter 5. But then when I get born again, I get plugged back in to life. I get plugged back into the blessing. Get plugged back into the things of heaven. And now those things can flow in my life. But if I'm like Eve and I don't know that I'm dead to those things, and I still think I'm alive to those things, then I grab that cord and I unplug because I still think I'm alive. I still think that when, when the fall comes around, that's flu season, that's just normal, I need to get ready. Theraflu, let's stock up. All right? <laughs> and springtime comes around and get the Claritin, baby, because get ready. It's, it's, it's allergy season. And that's just normal. That's what the world does. You know, when it comes time in the fall, fall season, you'll see uh, CVS and Walgreens, everybody's lining up with their flu shots. Come on, get ready. I mean, we'll give them to you for free. We just want to pump it into you. Why? That's just what you do. This is what the world's doing. That's the world's solution because they are alive to it and they can't do anything about it. But you have to change your perspective because Satan's trying to change your perspective too. Why? Because he can't do anything to you. All he can do is try to get you to see differently. And if he is after the way that you see, then you and I have to be smart enough about it, recognize his schemes and his devices, and make sure I'm not seeing the way that he sees it and the world sees it. See, let me, tell, let me put it to you like this. If I'm seeing life circumstances the way the sinner does, then I am way off course. If my responses to the world's circumstances are the same as the sinner... This, this thing right here is jacked up, and I got some serious renewing of the mind to do. I need to change the way that I think. So, so let me finish up here. Look at this, Romans chapter uh, 6. So we read up to verse 10, but I want you to see what he says here in verse 11. Romans chapter 6 and verse 10, he said, the, the death that he died, he died to sin once and for all. The life that he lives, he lives to God. 
Notice verse 11. Likewise you also. Likewise you also. Also what? He said you also reckon or consider yourself to be dead to sin. And alive unto God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Notice he tells you from verses 1 through 10 what really happened in redemption. He says, this is what Jesus did for you. He made you dead to sin, dead to sickness, dead to poverty, dead to lack, dead to addictions, dead to mental illness, dead to demonic oppression. He made you dead to all these things. But you are going to have to change the way that you think in order for you to experience it. And it's a powerful revelation because so many Christians want to blame God. Say, God, why won't you do something? Why won't you take care of this? Paul is telling you he already took care of it. The sin problem is taken care of. The sickness problem is taken care of. You need to change the way that you see it. He said, you've got to do some considering. Now, why would you have to consider something to be true that's obvious to you? Anybody woke up, gone to the mirror, and you have to do some real serious considering and meditating on the fact that you're a human. (laughs) I'm considering, I'm considering, I'm renewing my mind because I'm not looking too good, but I'm renewing my mind. I'm a human. I used to use the example of being a boy or a girl, but you know, you can't really do that. But I'm a human. Now, what if the Bible told you you need to do some serious considering that you're an elephant? Well, then you're going to look in the mirror and say, well, I don't look like an elephant. I don't have a big nose. You know, I don't have hooves. I mean, some of you might have, but, you know, I don't look like that. I don't got that big rear end like that. I'm not gray. Like, I've got to do some serious considering because nothing out here is telling me I look like that. Put two and two together. He's telling you it has absolutely nothing to do with what you see out here. He's trying to tell you who you are. And he's saying you're going to have to do some serious considering. But you have to understand Jesus was doing some considering too. Because even his, even his jacked up family was telling him, you're crazy. You're not. You ain't the son of God. Who do you think you are? I changed your dirty diapers. Come on now, I, I, smelt, I smelt your gas. I mean, like, I saw you color outside the lines. Like, you weren't perfect. Like, they knew him. They grew up. They thought he was crazy. Everything out here is telling Jesus, you're not the son of God. You're not supernatural. You're not from heaven. Everything out here is telling him that. He's having to work on some things. We don't have time, but you can go through the scripture and you can see where he was growing in his dominance and his dominion over things. Have you ever thought about why he walked on the water? Nobody got saved because of that. Nobody got healed, set free, delivered. He's actually doing it at night where nobody can see him. One time it says that he would have walked past the disciples, but they saw him and cried out for him. I personally believe, I don't don't really really give my opinions, but this is an opinion, so it's not doctrine, so don't take it to the bank. This is my personal belief on it, that the reason Jesus was doing that by himself, he was just proving his dominion on the earth to himself. At night, where nobody could see him. He was proving it to himself. You read the story, when he walked to the disciples, he actually walked for miles on that that water. At night, nobody could see him. Every step, another step of dominion. Another step of dominion. 
No, nothing in this world can dominate me. And there's a reason, and we've been teaching on it. You go back to Genesis chapter 1 and verse 28, and God said, I give, I give you dominion over the earth. Go out, multiply, increase, subdue it. Make the earth your slave. Dominate it. See, what did God do? Through salvation, through redemption, he took you from being a slave to the world, to the curse, and made you its master once again. And if the earth is your master, or the earth is your slave, then everything in it is too. Everything. And you know what's of, of the earth? Your body. When you take your last breath and you move out of this house, this thing's going back into the ground. It's going to turn back into the dirt that it's made of. And you have dominion over the dirt. Let me put it to you like this. You're no longer a slave to the dirt. No longer. See, you got to, I know it sounds crazy, but you know what? It's about time we start thinking crazy. Because when you start thinking, thinking crazy, you actually start thinking right. If, if the world thinks you're crazy, you're headed in the right direction. Sadly, if the, if the modern church thinks you're normal, you're not in a good thought. You're not in a good spot in the modern, modern church if they think you're normal. An alternate reality. There's the plug for the book. An alternate reality. It's an alter, it really is. It's an alternate. It's another reality that you and I get to live. It's the reality that Jesus put us in. But if we don't start... See, this is what Paul talked about in Colossians chapter 3. We need to hurry. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 through 3. He said, set your mind on the realities of heaven. For what? For you died. See, in one sense, you are a dead person walking on this earth. It's not as bad as Thriller with Michael Jackson. But you're a dead person walking on this earth. You're dead to all the things of the earth. He said, for you've died. Set your mind on the realities of heaven. For you've died. And your new life is hidden with Christ in God. Romans chapter 12 and verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world. Stop thinking like the world, seeing like the world. He said, be transformed or be conformed to the world you're from. By how? By, by not by praying and fasting and getting God to do anything. By you changing your stinking thinking. By you changing the way that you think. By you changing your perspective. By, by seeing yourself as alive unto God and all that's in him flowing through you. By seeing yourself as the branch divinely connected to the vine. And all that flows to the vine flowing through you. See yourself that way. Instead of being like an extension cord plugged into disease and plugged into cancer and plugged into, you know, all these itises. And that being the flow into your life. Jesus unplugged you. And the only way you could get plugged back in is if you plug back in because you think you're still alive to it. I think that's still normal. You've got to stop seeing disease as normal. It's no, when you got born again, that, it's a brand new life. 2 Corinthians 5.17 is the real deal. A new life has begun. What type of life? A life where sin is no longer my master. And not just sin, all the byproducts of sin. Where sickness and disease is no longer my master. Essentially, you could say it like this, that when I got born again, when I got born again, when I got saved, I can't get sick anymore. Now, that's a bold statement. But I've been saying it for a long time now. It's impossible for me to get sick. 
It's impossible for me to have disease in my body. Why? There's too much of him on the inside of me. You ever thought about this? That when God moved on the inside of you, it should affect your body? Anybody ever had relatives come over for Christmas or Thanksgiving? People there for a day or two, you know they're there. <laughs> they're eating your food, leaving your refrigerator open, using your toilet paper, leaving toothpaste in the sink, not flushing the toilet, not pushing the lid down. You know they're there. Why? They're affecting your house. <laughs> Nobody can be in your house and it not affect your house. Well, what happens when God moves into your house? Shouldn't it affect your house? I'm telling you, we could go up the mountain from all kind of, kind of sides, and, and I'm going to win every single time. God wants you healed. He wants you healed. And in reality, in the very same way that he sees you as forgiven, he also sees you as healed. God sees us as healed. Jesus sees us as healed. Actually, Satan already does too. He just doesn't want you to know it. See, think about it. Satan, the Bible says, he is the father of lies. There is no truth in him. If Satan's coming up to you and telling you that you're sick, <laughs> and there's no truth in him, and he's the father of lies, it must mean that. But what's he doing? He's bringing these thoughts and these ideas and these suggestions. He's a tempter. He's a deceiver. He's a great salesman, and we've been buying all of his stuff. It's like he's on QVC, and I'm like, man, i got to have it. <laughs> he's after your imaginations, your perception. What are you most conscious of? What are you most aware of? What has your affections? Because whatever has your affections, whatever moves you emotionally, that's what has your heart. You can tell me that you're believing, but if, but, but if the situation is moving your emotions, you might want to check up on what you really believe. Whatever has your affections has your heart. And out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth. It's been very interesting to watch people. I've dealt with people for a while now dealing with this stuff. And to see what people say after they didn't get the, the right result. Actually, I was dealing with, with this one couple, and, and, and I need to stop with this. I was actually dealing with this one couple, and the, the husband had cancer, and, and everybody was saying the right stuff, saying the right stuff, saying the right stuff, and he ended up dying, and, and, and I was listening to the wife, and she made this statement. She said, I told him, if God heals you, that'll be great for you and great for me. If God doesn't heal you, it'll be great for you and be bad for me, and you know, I'm thinking like, okay, but the entire time you're talking about that I know God's going to heal him. I know God's going to heal him. I know God's going to heal him. I know healing is his. But then I find out in these private conversations, when it's not in front of people, the private conversations is, well, you know, if it happens, great. If it doesn't, well. You talk to somebody long enough, and the truth will always eventually come out. But see, what we've been doing, we've been playing these faith games because we've been around it long enough. We know what we're supposed to say and we know what we're supposed to do. But one of the ways you can really check up on where you're really at on it is what moves you. What's moving you? What's truly moving your soul? Because what? Whatever has my imaginations, that's what's going to be most real to me. And whatever is most real to me, that's what my, what my faith will automatically produce. I don't have a faith problem. You don't have a faith problem. We have an awareness problem. We don't have an equipment problem. We have an awareness problem. I've got the faith of God. I can believe for anything. 
You've got the faith of God. You've got the faith of Jesus Christ because you're one with him. How could you do what he did and not have the same stuff? And if, and if mustard seed faith will move a mountain, my God, it must be microscopic to move a tumor. It's all about perspective. We see these things as big, and in reality, it's actually very, 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 very small. So, quickly here, anybody here, you got any, you've been dealing with any type of chronic disease, cancer, something like that? Okay. Anybody else? Cancer? Anybody else? Liver failure? Okay. Anybody else? Fibromyalgia? Okay. Emphysema? What else? Anybody? Huh? Cancer? You? Okay. Anybody else? COPD? What? Diabetes? Say, say, say what? APS. Oh, that's, that's a lot better for my brain. APS. High blood pressure. Uh. Praise God. Life of God flowing. So, so the reason, yeah, go ahead. Stomach issues. Anybody else? Well, let me just say this. We're throwing out everything. So go and raise your hands. Tell me what's going on. Okay. Good thing it's not your brain, but you're not. Yeah. Generative disc. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. Now well, think about that. All those things they told us. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not picking on you. I'm just saying like, but, but, but think about the COVID thing. Think about this, perspective. I'm talk, we're trying to talk about perspective tonight. Think about this, all right? <laughs> think about this. Two and a half years ago, if you were walking around an airport or something like that, and you had to sneeze, you didn't think too much about it. You just let it go. Today, you, you tried to hold it in because you know the person next to you is going to freak because they think they're going to get the pox or something, you know. You know, I mean, I, rem- I remember it was, <laughs> it, was the fu- it was the first week of March, <laughs> March of 2020. I'm in, I'm in the Paris airport, okay. I'm in the Paris airport, and I'm heading to India. And CNN is on all the TVs, and everybody is freaking out in, in there. And, and, of course, and I get it at that time, all these people are dying, being reported of dying in Italy and places like that. And so we're there near it. Everybody's wigging out. And, uh, and I'm sitting there, and, and I'm seeing what's on the news, and I'm looking at these people, and I'm not going to lie. After being around that for about an hour, because I'm waiting on a flight, it's, the thoughts start coming to me, because I'm seeing this. I'm seeing people freak out everywhere. And I started getting a little fear, because I, I stopped casting down those imaginations, and I started listening and stuff. And I had to get up. I grabbed my stuff. I went to the bathroom and went to a stall, shut the door. And I went in that stall, and I stood there. Not to relieve myself, I stood there to fix myself. And I had to work on my mind in that stall and get my mind back where it needed to be. And I stood there in that stall with my, my eyes closed and started using my imagination and seeing the vine and the branch, me connected with him, 
seeing that flow right there. The Psalm 91 was for the, the sinner that had a covenant of God. How much more so would a thousand fall at one side, ten thousand at another, but it not come near me because I'm one with him. I had to do that in the stall. I had to get holy in the stall. And then I walked out there, and I sit down, and I look at the craziness and the nonsense that's going on. And then I see this little boy, probably about nine years old, he went and grabbed a doorknob. And the mom that was standing there, she starts yelling, no! And she pulls out her big mom bag and pulls out a big thing of hand sanitizer, pulls off the top and anoints him <laughs> with hand sanitizer, pours the entire bottle on his head, hand sanitizer running down his face, and she starts rubbing it all over him in the airport. And I, I didn't know whether to laugh or yell or like say, oh my God, or pull out my phone and put it on YouTube, like. But, I mean, it's about perspective. It's about perspective. And think about it. Over the course of two years, two and a half years, and being constantly being seen on social media and TV, all of the symptoms and all these type of things. I mean, now we know all the symptoms. And yet, now, if someone gets the sniffles, they think they're going to be in ICU and die. Two and a half years ago, we didn't think it was that big of a deal. It's all about what you've been fed. What you're hearing, what you're seeing is going to change the way that you see things, which is going to cause a change in the way that you believe things, which is going to cause a change in what you see in things and receive of things. It's all about perspective, awareness. What else is going on? Anybody else that didn't write? Yes, sir. Diabetes, yes, sir. Dizzy. Anybody else? Liver disease. Huh? Knee pain. Okay, anybody else? Arthritis. Hashimoto. Sounds like a Atari game. Okay. Yes. Knee. Neuropathy. All right. Let me put it to you like this. Is there anybody here that doesn't have anything? I was joking. Okay. All right. So, <laughs> so uh, I was just being funny. So, so, so let me put it to you like this. Think about the things that we've talked about tonight, okay? Think about the things that we've talked about. If you've received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, thank God you get to go to heaven. But when you made Jesus the Lord and Savior of your life, somebody moved on the inside of you. Somebody moved on. It's Christ in me, the hope of glory. But that word hope is the Greek word that means expectation. Why would I expect the glory of God in my body? Because Jesus said in John 17, Father, what you gave me, that glory I give unto them. The same glory that was in him, he said, I've given unto you. That same light that was shining out of Jesus on the mountain that we call the mountain of transfiguration is the very same light that shines on the inside of you as a spirit being right now. The light. And you know what light does? Light, it's a great disinfectant. Light will create Light will burn out and dissolve. It will disinfect. This is the reason the Bible says that God is life. He is light. And John chapter 1 and verse 4 and 5, it says, In him was life, and that life was the light of men. And the darkness could not overcome the light. That means the greater that's he that's in me than he that's in the world, he that's in the body. There's nothing that can touch my body that's greater than who I am. Why? Because I am a master 
He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. That means I have to be one of those kings and I'm one of those lords. Why? Because he gave me a dominion. He gave me authority. He put me in his place, in his stead to continue to dominate and rule and subdue. When I got born again, he moved to live on the inside of me. I'm bone of his bone. I'm flesh of his flesh. It's not something just for weddings. In Ephesians 5, Paul said, you're bone of his bone, flesh of his flesh. But I'm not just talking about man and woman. I'm talking about you and Christ. It's all about union. I mean, it's all there. It's, it's the giant red thread that runs all throughout the New Testament, all throughout Paul's letters to the churches. He's trying to tell you who you are. He's trying to show you who you are. He's slapping you upside the head, shaking you, saying, wake up to who you are. In Ephesians chapter 1, 15 through 21, he said, Father, I pray that the eyes of their understanding would be enlightened, be filled with light, that they would know. He didn't pray that God would give us. He said, Father, I pray that they would know what they have, that they would know the plan of God, they would know the inheritance that he has in the saints, and they would know the exceeding greatness of the dead-raising power they exerted when he raised Jesus from the dead, that, that we would know that it's in us and it's for us. Paul wasn't praying for God to give it to us. He said, God, open their eyes that they would know they have it. He said, the eyes of their understanding would be enlightened. And you know what that word understanding means in the Greek? Imagination. That their imaginations would be so filled with light that they'd be able to see themselves the way that you see them. Maybe the, the problem is that God's holding out. Maybe the problem is we're not seeing the way that he sees. Maybe, just maybe, is it possible the thing that we've been searching for and pushing for and praying for and fasting for, you actually already have? What's the possibility that what you've been trying to get God to release that he actually already did when you got born again? What's the possibility that the healing that I've been focused for and trying to get, I actually already What's the possibility that right now you and I are in this very same room, in this very same situation? What's the possibility we're in the very same place that Eve was, standing in that tree, and Satan saying, you don't have it, but if you'll do this, you'll get it. What's the possibility that we are just like her standing there right now, and we don't know what we have, and we think we don't have it, so I'm trying to get it. What's the possibility? What's the possibility that that healing power that I need to drive out that tumor, to drive out the diabetes, to make the pancreas begin to work and the kidney to begin to work and, and to create new cartilage and, and to get rid of that Atari video game stuff that you have back there and, and, and to deal with all these issues, that, you know, the memory loss and the fogginess and, and, and all the after effects of COVID. What's the possibility that all the stuff that I need to get rid of it is literally inside me. What's the possibility? What's the possibility that what's on the inside of me is far greater than a pill that I could put in my mouth? Because when I take that pill, I've got faith that when I swallow it, it's going to dissolve and, and it's going to go to the places that it needs to go and it's going to affect a cure. What's the possibility that what I already got because of my union with Christ is literally right there, just wait, ready, willing, and able, waiting to be released? If I would just know that I've got it. What's the possibility? See, in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul says, don't walk. Don't walk as the Gentiles walk, the sinners. Don't walk like they walk in the futility of their mind with their understanding being darkened. Their imaginations, 
their deep thoughts being darkened. And he goes on to say, being alienated from the life of God. That their imaginations alienates them from this life that God is and he has. What's the possibility that so many of us are walking as a sinner walks, not knowing what we have? And even though we have it on the inside, we've alienated us from the medication, so to speak, of heaven because we don't know we have it. What's the possibility that the medicine of heaven is literally on the inside of you right now? If Jesus is the vine and I am the branch, as he is, so are we in this world. What's the possibility that everything that flows in him right now is literally flowing in me right now? What's the possibility? What's the possibility that God and all of his greatness and, and his awesomeness and his mightiness is on the inside of me ready just to explode through my body? What's the possibility? What's the possibility that the church should have been experiencing a revival 20 years ago instead of, instead of waiting on God to pour out something extra special? When Paul was praying, God showed them they already have it. What's the possibility we could have already been done and out of here if we actually knew what we had? What's the possibility? What's the possibility that what you came in with is actually beginning to dissolve and go away right now? Not because you tried, not because you, you were confessing the right things and doing the right thing. What's the possibility that things are beginning to happen in your body right now just because you decided to become conscious and aware of him for a second? Just for one second. For one second, I got my mind off of the doctor's report. For one second, I got my mind, my consciousness, my imaginations off the lies and, and the thoughts and ideas and suggestions of the devil. Just for one second, I became aware of him. One second, I allowed him to, to have my, my entire consciousness. I became aware of him and who I am in him. I began to see myself as one with him. I began to see myself at the very right hand of God in Christ. Then I close my eyes and I just look over to the left and say, hey, Dad. What's the possibility that as I begin to see myself in union with him as dead, that it's absolutely impossible for me to get cancer? It's absolutely impossible for it to stay. What's the possibility that I just begin to change the way that I think that I'm dead to it? That because I see myself as dead to it, immediately at that moment, it no longer has pull in my life. What's the possibility that in that moment when I make the decision that I see it from the proper perspective, and I make that decision, I'm dead to you. That at that moment, I just got unplugged and plugged into the life of God, and healing begins to flow into my body because I, I changed my perspective, and I made the decision. I will no longer be told what to do. See, masters aren't told what to do by the slaves. But slaves do what they're told. But we viewed ourselves as a slave to cancer, a slave to pancreatitis, a slave to diabetes, a slave to arthritis, a slave to all these things. We viewed ourselves as a slave to it. That, you know, that there's really no other option to what the doctor says. And if the doctor can help me, great. And if they can't, well, it's just my lot in life. That's a slave mentality. There's a slave mentality. See, unfortunately, America dealt with slavery hundreds and hundreds of years ago. But you know what? There's a whole lot more slavery still in the church. 
And it's not a racial thing. It's a spiritual thing. We don't know who we are. And it's the reason we have not been able to produce what we should have been producing in the world. Because we still think we're alive. We still think we're a slave. Still think we're a slave. And you know what the sad part is? We're sitting in the jail cell and the door's wide open. <laughs> Jesus set me free. Set me free. The door's wide open, doofus. I know, but set me free. Set me free. <laughs> Praise you, Jesus. Hallelujah. In the mighty name of Jesus, we thank you for your precious life flowing in this body and we command this body to submit and do brain you begin to function the way that you were designed to function by God we thank you for your precious life flowing in the body flowing in the body and changing the structure of the cells and DNA hallelujah praise be unto God praise be unto God praise be unto God we take authority over this cancer you foul spirits been enforcing and harassing. We release you of your assignment right now in the mighty name of Jesus. In the mighty name of Jesus. Thank you for your precious life flowing in this body. We're dead to these things. Dead to these things. Dead to these things. Dead to these things. I want you to do this. Everybody. Every single person here, you're born again. All these things we're talking about, it's literally on the inside of you right now. And But you know what the wonderful thing is? It's not just there for you. It's there for you to give away to other people. So I want you to put your hand on the person next to you. Don't worry, you're not going to get any monkey pox or COVID-74. But put your hand, just put your hand on their shoulder. You don't have to touch their hands. We, we can hand out disinfectant afterwards or something like that. Pour it on your head, anoint you. Come on, but right now, just close your eyes and use your imagination. I want you to see that, that life of God, that, that electricity, the lightnings of God. I want you to see that just flashing on the inside of you. Like literally like, like you've got some jumper cables and you put it on a, a battery that's, that's running in your car and you grab the hold of that, that other end of the cable and that's just flashing through your body right now. And that now you're, you're, the, you're the alive battery. And so you get the under end of those cables. You take it off that battery. And now you're putting on, on, on another battery that needs some life. And that juice, that electrical surge, that jolt, it's coming out of you. And it's flowing into the body. That you are the jumper cables. You as a spirit being filled with his life. But your hands are those jumper cables. And that all that he is is literally flowing on the inside of you all that he is is flowing on the inside of you all that he is is flowing on the inside of you all that he is is flowing on the inside of you and because it's flowing on the inside of you it's flowing through you and flowing into them come on we say it say it all the time that we are the body of christ we are the well but you need to get a little bit more real with it that we not just collectively are the body of Christ, but you literally are the body of Christ. Whatever situation you may be in, whatever circumstances you may be in, you may be the only Jesus that someone ever sees, ever comes into contact with, ever experiences. You are his hands. And you are his feet. And all of him lives in you and flows in you. 
flows on the inside of you like a mighty rushing river. You know, Jesus said that like a well of living water on the inside. Like a well of living water on the inside. Like a well of living water on the inside. And then he went on to talk about the Holy Ghost. And he's talking about rivers of living water. See, the wells are for you to dip down into. The wells of salvation to dip down into and access whenever you want it. Drink from it whenever you want it. Have a nice cold drink whenever you want it. But you know what? Those rivers... Those rivers are for the world. Those rivers are for your community. Those rivers, for all those that are around you, the life of God to flow out of you and to flow into those bodies and remove every ounce of sickness, every ounce of disease, every ounce of all of these attacks of the devil, his precious life flowing into the body, removing arthritis, come on, making brand new cartilage, straightening up spines, Causing nerves to, to function, causing nerves to begin to talk, synapses to begin to fire. Come on now, rods and, and, and cells in your eyes beginning to form and, and reform and beginning to see those that were colorblind. I mean, we were down in Houston, a boy that was completely colorblind all of a sudden began to see in color. A man that was completely blind began to see. Praise you, Jesus. I mean, nothing is impossible. You and I, we get to operate in this realm, the, the realm of the impossibilities. It's our playground. It's our playground. It's the realm which we get to operate in. Jesus said that nothing was impossible with God, that all things are possible. And he said nothing is impossible for those who believe. For those who believe. For those who believe. That means that puts you and I in the God class. That puts you and I in his class. In his class, in his class, that all that he is could flow through us. That his precious life could flow through us. The love with which he loves would flow through us. That we would experience him. We would encounter him. Be filled to the full and overflowing with him. See, when God gives, he never gives just a little bit. He always gives excessively, abundantly, lavishly. He's a too much God. He's a 12-basket leftover, net-breaking, net boat-sinking God. He's too much. He gives too much. He didn't save you and say, I hope that helped you a little bit. No, he gives too much. All that he is. Come on, think about that life that was flowing out of Jesus, that light on that mountain. It was so much of it, his body couldn't even contain it. His body couldn't contain it so much, it's flowing into his clothes. It's not only affecting his body, it's affecting his clothes. And Jesus was doing that as a man, anointed by God, filled with God, filled with his precious life, filled with his light. And he was doing that as a man. Why? Because what was on the inside of him was getting on the outside. Oh, what a change in my life. Something on the inside, working on the outside. Oh, what a change in my life. Oh, what a change in my life. I've got a river of life flowing out of me. It makes the lame to walk and the blind to see, opens prison doors, sets the captives free. I've got a river of life flowing out of me. Spring up a well. 
down in my soul. Spring up a well that makes me, come on, ho, ho, ho. Spring up a well, and unto me, that life, that life, that life abundantly, that life abundantly, that life abundantly, that life abundantly, that life abundantly. Come on, Jesus said, I came that you would have life, and you would have it with abundance. I came to give you life, that you'd be filled to the full and overflowing. Filled to the full and overflowing. Filled to the full. This isn't like putting your finger in a 110 socket. This isn't like putting your finger in a 220. This is like climbing up on a pole and grabbing a hold of a live wire. And yet the power that flows in that is still nothing compared to the power that flows into the creator of the universe at the throne. The one that you are united with that's one in you. One with you. The power the life, the light that he released into the universe. And the universe cannot contain. But because you were made in his image and in his likeness, you contain all that he is. And that flowing into your body, flowing into tumors, flowing into organs, flowing into knees and joints and backs and shoulders and brains and cells, every fiber of your being, every bone, every tendon, every ligament, Flowing into your body. Flowing into your body like flashes of lightning into your body. Driving out the things that doctors have been trying to drive out. Driving out the things that doctors couldn't figure out. Creating things that science cannot create. Replacing organs that science cannot replace. Why? What if it's possible that angels are walking the room right now and bringing body parts from heaven and putting them in bodies right now? What's the possibility? What's the possibility? What's the possibility that the ones that you can't see, that God has, has, has given to us, for us, what's the possibility that just because you become a, a more aware of God in the last 15 minutes than what you were when you came in, what's the possibility you started getting your soul, your imagination hooked up to the realities of heaven and all of a sudden because of that you began to access where you're from. Access the place that you can boldly go into to find grace and help in a time of need. He said, boldly come. What's the possibility you're accessing that place right now? What's the possibility that as the realities of heaven become, begin to become more real to you right now, what's the possibility that things are just beginning to flow? Things are beginning to fix themselves, not because of you, but because of who he is on the inside. What's the possibility? That his precious life is flowing on the inside of you. That his precious life is flowing in the body. And it's creating. And it's restoring. It's rejuvenating. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That the precious life of God is flowing into the bodies. The precious life of God is flowing into the bodies. The precious life of God is flowing into all these bodies. And restoring and creating and healing and removing What's the possibility? What's the possibility that all that we have desired, that we literally were filled to the full and overflowing when we got born again? What's the possibility? What's the possibility?
What's the possibility that if you walked in here with cancer, you just died to it once again? What's the possibility? What's the possibility that the tumors you can't see right now are beginning to dissolve? What's the possibility that the cartilage that was missing in your joints right now is beginning to form once again? It's not just a possibility. It's a reality already for us. See, healing is not a promise for us. It's a reality. Under the old covenant, it was a promise. Under the new covenant, it's a reality. How come it's a reality? Because he said, I already did it. I've got a promise. No, 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 no. I've got a reality. When I was dependent on the high priest once a year, it was a promise. Now I'm dependent on my high priest who went in once and for all. It's a reality. Hallelujah. Praise you, Father. Well, kept you a little longer than I intended to. But, but look, that right there, what we did right there just for a few minutes, that's how you plug back in. And you know what? You can do that anywhere, anytime you want. Instead of, instead of watching Seinfeld for a while, you can take 15 minutes, go in your room, tell everybody to shut up and leave you alone. Close your eyes. Use your imagination. See yourself where you're seated. And plug in. Plug in. Plug in and begin to see. Listen to what I said. See yourself where you're seated. I'm seated in heavenly places. The throne room of God is my office. The throne room of, of God, that is the place of which I minister from, I pray from. That's where I'm seated. I grew up really, really poor. I used to think if I had an office, I've made it in life. Because I thought, you know, important people have an office. Well, you know what? You have an office. And it's greater than any penthouse suite up in Trump Tower or anything like that. It's the highest place of the universe. That's the place of which you and I get to operate from. And the more we begin to use our imagination, the more we begin to see it, the more we begin to see where we're from and meditate on that and do some considering, the more these things begin real to us, the more we're able to release it and access it and walk in it, and the more the things of this world become absolutely ineffective in our lives. And we can walk through, walk through this life as a king, reigning in righteousness. You know, it says over in Romans chapter 5, we're to reign as a king in life. You can't reign as a king in life if you see yourself as a slave in life. Can't reign as a king if I see myself like this. Praise the Lord. Pastor. Well, that was awesome. Uh, I, uh, I'm really grateful to Chad. Some of you have been around me for a long time know that I've been a little frustrated with what we call the move of God. Because we've watered it down so much that it's unrecognizable to the scriptures. How's our time?
God's good, amen. Let's give it up for Chad. We appreciate him and Adam coming up. We're very grateful. I appreciate everybody that made it out, you know, the last couple of services. I'm just going to dismiss y'all. God bless you guys. Drive safe. Going home. It's been awesome. God bless you.